0: 6-4 Good morning, it's good to see everyone here this morning Send out a special welcome to our visitors that we have in the audience today We appreciate you being here Jonathan, I appreciate your prayer this morning You touched on a few things that we'll be speaking on today. So a few months ago, we studied the betrayal of Jesus Christ. And um, as we went through this story and these events, there's a few things that I skipped over um, pretty quickly. And so today we're going to step back and we're going to dive into a few um, or at least one of the events that occurred uh, during uh, this betrayal. We're going to study one of those topics today. Uh, before we get into this study, uh, I want to do a quick recap of Judas's betrayal of Jesus Christ. And you'll remember that there was a series of events that happened in a really short period of time. You'll remember that Judas was chosen by Jesus to be a disciple and to travel with him and to learn from him. But as you'll recall, Judas had a flaw. This was a major flaw. The scripture tells us that Judas was in charge of of the apostles' money. They also tell us that he was a thief and he would help himself to that money um, as he kept that money for the apostles and for their expenses. We read of this in John 12 and 5, and this happened, what we're about to read, this happened right after um, Mary had taken some very expensive oil to wipe down Jesus' feet and, and this angered Judas. Here in John 12 and 5, it says, and this is Judas speaking here. Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. And his love for money, it played a big part in his betrayal. Judas knew uh, the chief priest, uh, had a, and, and he had already met with the chief priest, and he agreed Uh, that he would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So they came up with this plan to capture Jesus, um, and they would do so secretly to not draw a lot of attention to uh, what was happening. So as we fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is there with the disciples, and he's praying. The scriptures say that he began to be sorrowful, he began to be deeply distressed, because Jesus knows that he's going to die. He's going to leave behind all these friends Uh, that he had made, and and all these followers that were a part of his ministry. So during these deep prayers and these difficult times, Jesus, uh, he looks over and he sees the disciples sleeping. And he begins speaking to them, and we'll pick up in Matthew 26. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, uh, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now his betrayer "...had given them a sign saying, "Whoever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him." Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And with that single kiss, Judas betrayed Jesus. So there's the cliff notes of uh, the sermon from a couple of months ago about Judas's betrayal. So obviously there's a lot more to this story, and there's a lot of events that had happened during this time period. So this morning we're going to study one of those events that I, I skipped... And that is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Before we get into this study, I want you to think for a few moments what your preparations would entail if you knew that you were going to die tonight. As Jonathan pointed out in his prayer, we do not know when we're going to die, when we're going to leave this earth. Rarely would we know when we were going to die. But we know, we're certain, that someday our life on this earth is going to end. So let's imagine that you're going to die tonight. You're going to die tonight, and I'm giving you six hours notice. You have six hours to figure things out. And with this advance warning, you have some time. It's limited, but you have a little bit of time. What are you going to do? What are you going to take care of? Are you going to start scrambling to ensure that your will and your legal documents are all taken care of? That they're all in place so your family and your heirs know what to do with your estate? Are you going to meet with the elders? Are you going to discuss death? What's about to happen? Are you going to discuss your salvation? What about that bucket list? I think most of the world is going to focus on this bucket list. In your final six hours... What do you want to go see? What do you want to go do? You want to go skydiving? You finally going to go jump out of that plane? You got a couple hours left. You going to jump on a plane? Maybe you want to go take a ride. Maybe you want to go see the countryside. In my six hours, I'm going to go and I want to see this beautiful mountain. How about throw a party? You want to throw a going away party for yourself? Have your friends and your family over one last time for a cookout? tell everyone goodbye, tell everyone how much you love them. You know, our first instinct when we contemplate death is to think of some of those things that I just mentioned. When it comes to our example of knowing when we're going to die in six or so hours, you know, we're cutting it close to address some of those. But it's human nature for us to think of material things and want to do things that are selfish for us. Things I want to see. Things that I want to do. Because we want to make the most of whose time? Our time. It's my time. Jesus knew that his final hours on this earth was upon him. He knew that he was going to be betrayed and that he was going to die. John 13 and 1 tells us, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus, knew, when Jesus knew that his final hour, that his last hour had come, should depart from this world of the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus, I'm sorry, John tells us that Jesus knew that he was going to die. He knew that his time on this earth had came to an end, but Jesus didn't turn to that bucket list. He didn't throw a party, he didn't throw a family reunion, and he didn't throw a backyard barbecue. Jesus didn't stand before his disciples and his followers and throw his hands in the air and demand to be worshipped in my last day on this earth. Jesus didn't announce, the greatest man is about to die, come bow before me. Come worship me. Jesus could have done that. You see, all the great multitudes that had come from faraway lands to see and hear Jesus, they would have came again. All the numbers of people that desired to be healed and to touch Jesus, they would have come again. His disciples gave up their occupations, and left their homes and their families to follow him, they would have done whatever he asked in his final hours. And knowing that he could have been worshipped in his final hours on earth, Jesus got on his knees and he washed the disciples' feet. We'll read of this event in John 13. All these scriptures, the rest of the scriptures will be on... The screen this morning, you're welcome to follow along in your Bibles if you'd like to. We're going to read these verses starting in the first verse of John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his final hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel, which he had girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part in me, with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Scriptures are clear that selfishness has no place in our Christian walk. Jesus repeatedly taught against pride, and with his life, he constantly taught us the importance of humility and servanthood. Nowhere is that more clear than in John 13, in the scriptures we just read. Leading up to his death, Jesus had returned to Jerusalem, and he was greeted by crowds of people, excited to see him and welcome him in. And just a few days later, he would find himself rejected, captured, beaten, and executed. So we have a dramatic turn of events in such a short period of time. So that brings us to the night before Jesus was killed. And rather than focusing and dwelling on his upcoming death, he chose to surround himself with close friends and a little bit more instruction. Jesus could have done a lot of other things, but he chose to spend his final hours continuing to teach and showing these men the true meaning of of love and humility. It was, you know, in what was literally the the last hours before his death, Jesus kept showing them his love just over and over and over again. The first verse ends saying, he loved them to the end. And part of this love, this teaching moment, was washing their feet. Jesus and the disciples They traveled a lot. They traveled a lot to city to city, across the countryside. Uh, They walked and they walked and they walked. And the most popular footwear of the time was sandals. So with all this walking and wearing of sandals, it was common to have dirty feet. Even if they had the occasional donkey to ride, we all know that these are messy and dirty and dusty animals. Everyone in that culture, they faced this same problem. Plus, they didn't have concrete, they didn't have asphalt. So they're walking on dirt roads, dusty roads, sand roads. And if it had rained, then they're walking in the mud. Even today, if we wear sandals or or slides or flip-flops around for a few hours, our feet get dirty, don't they? In between our toes, it's all dirty. So it was common for homes to have a large pot of water at the door to wash feet when they came in. And normally this was performed by a servant or a child. That was the custom, to be washed by the servant or by maybe a young member of the household when, they, when you came into someone's home. And if someone entered the house, the servant, they would kneel down and they would wash your feet. As Jesus and the disciples arrived in the upper room that evening, there is no mention in the scriptures of a servant being present to wash feet. There is no mention of their feet being cleaned prior to eating supper that night. When we go back to Matthew 20, and this was just a few days before, and Jesus was talking to the disciples. And he said, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. I don't think that this was coincidence. I don't think this teaching, just shortly before the washing of the feet, I don't think this is coincidence. Jesus is teaching them how to serve each other. A few days later, Jesus tells them, if you desire to become great, then you need to be a servant. And then Jesus follows that up with actual application by kneeling down and washing their feet, which was normally the job of a servant. And here's the greatest lesson that we take from this foot foot washing account. It is through absolute humility. It is through absolute humility that we generate love. It is the nature of love to be selfless and giving. In First Corinthians 13 and, 5, 13 and 5, Paul said that love does not seek its own. Christ's love and humility, they're inseparable. He could not have been so consumed with passion for serving others if he had been concerned with With himself. Think about that. He could not have been so consumed with passion, the passion to serve others, if he was concerned about himself. And love, just as Jesus proved to us over and over again, it has to be more than words. In 1 John 3, in 18, we read, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Remember that. Love is expressed by more than our mouth. More than just us saying, I love you. It's not by our words that we say, but it's by an activity. Don't just tell someone that you love them. Show them how much you love them. Jesus knelt down He took their dirty feet in their hands. He performed the role of a servant, and he washed their feet. Don't just tell someone you love them. Show someone that you love them. I want to spend a few minutes discussing Peter and some of the the interaction that happened with Peter and Jesus, the exchange that they had. Peter had his feet washed. He did have his feet washed. But he was very hesitant. And it's interesting to see this process that occurs in a period that was uh, maybe a few seconds. Um, Maybe, you know, when we read it, it it just blends in like it happened in just a few seconds. Maybe it was a couple of minutes. Either way, this interaction, it was a very short period of time. It was very quick. So as Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, he arrives at Peter, who, who I think was just utterly confused. He was just confused. Confused to the point of just not understanding what was going on here. He knew Jesus. He had watched him perform miracles. He watched how the multitudes of people would come and gather around to listen and be taught by the master. And now this man that he admired so much is going to wash everyone's feet? He didn't get it. And so... As Jesus approaches Peter to begin washing his feet, Peter says, Lord, are you washing my feet? You can almost hear the confusion in his voice. I imagine this scenario happening. uh, Maybe Peter, maybe he pulled his feet back. Maybe he stepped back a little bit and said, what are you doing? Jesus replies to Peter, Peter. And he says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And so Peter, he got a little bolder. In verse 8, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Then Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So Peter's starting to realize that maybe Jesus is pretty serious about this. And Peter then says, Lord, not my feet only but also my hands and my head. See what Peter did here? He goes from one extreme to the other. He refuses. He first refuses to have his feet washed. He didn't want any part of it. Then after a little encouragement from Jesus, Peter says, Lord, don't just wash my feet, but wash my hands and my head. Wash all of me. Clean me. Peter struggled with this. He didn't get it. He struggled with putting Jesus in this humiliating situation. He struggled watching Jesus be his servant. Again, we have to remember that feet washing was a chore of a servant, not one that we would have, that, that Peter thought of for Jesus. And in Peter's mind, there was no place for Jesus to be humiliated like this. And although Peter, he changed his mind, and he ultimately allowed Jesus to wash his feet, I don't think Peter really understood what was going on, at least at this moment when Jesus was washing all of their feet and going through uh, this activity. He didn't get it, but a short period of time of, of hesitation, and then he knew he wanted to be part of it. When Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. What he's doing here is he's showing the disciples through illustration of washing their feet to this, he's connecting that to the spiritual truth of washing the inner man. Look at Titus 3. In Titus 3, verse 4, it says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness. Which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Compare that teaching to what Titus, uh, in Titus, to what Jesus is telling Peter. Unless you allow me to wash you, you are not clean and you have no part in me. I don't think Peter really understood what Jesus was getting at here either, because See, bathing is different than foot washing. Still thinking that Jesus was speaking of physical washing, Peter offered his hands and his head. He understood the words that Jesus was saying, but he didn't understand the actual meaning. But in understanding the words, he offered up everything. Wash me, cleanse me. But bathing and cleaning your body is different than the washing Jesus is referring to. And Jesus tells them that in verse 10. He says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. You know, we can get up in the morning, we can take a shower to begin our day. But if we put on those flip flops or those sandals we talked about a minute ago, and we go outside and we work for a while. Our feet, we're going to get dirty. Our feet's going to get dirty. So throughout the day, they had to wash their feet from time to time because of the dirty and dusty roads. But they didn't need to take another shower. They didn't need to take another bath. All they needed to do was wash the dirt off of their feet as they entered someone's home. Jesus is saying this. Once you've been cleaned, you're clean. I see here an obvious comparison Between the old law and the new law. And this was different to the disciples. This isn't new to us. We've only lived under the new law put in place through the life and death of Jesus Christ. Once we've been saved, once we've been baptized, uh, and our sins have been washed away, once we've been redeemed, we're clean. From that point on, we don't need a new bath every time we commit a sin. Now, we can fall from grace. Yes, we can fall from grace, and that's a sermon for another day. But although we don't need a, a bath every time every although we do need a bath every day, when we just get our feet dirty. The world presents us many opportunities to misstep, to sin, to end our day with dirty and stinking feet. And we receive that spiritual washing of our feet in what first John says. 1 and 9 refers to if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've been saved. We've been baptized. We've been covered by the blood of Christ. So Jesus is teaching the disciples several lessons here while he's washing their feet. He's first teaching them about being a servant and how to serve others and how important that service is in their Christian walk. Secondly, he's teaching them the spiritual meaning between bathing as he gives the explanation, the process of salvation. And as we continue to walk through this life, our journey through this life, when our feet get dirty, reminds Jesus reminds us that through repentance and through confession, we continually have our feet washed. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning uh, discussing two applications that I took from this study. Uh, The first point is that we need to be washing feet. Jesus makes it clear that we need to be washing feet. We need to be professional feet washers. Whatever you want to call yourself. Jesus explained the reasons for foot washing, and then he commanded us to do that. In John uh, 13 and 14, says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In other words, if Jesus Christ is willing to humbly and unconditionally serve his followers in a lowly human task, remember, task meant for a servant, a house servant, those disciples should follow his examples and be willing to perform even the most unpleasant task to their, for their brethren. The Apostle John later explained this attitude a little bit. We look at um, with the question that we have in 1 John 3 and 17. And it says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? The great news is that I feel like we have a lot of love with this group of people that meet here. And I feel like that we do a wonderful job of washing feet. We do a wonderful job of serving others. We preach service. We preach compassion. We preach servanthood. And all of that's for for a reason. It's because the Bible commands it. Jesus instituted the foot washing ceremony to illustrate that he had come to serve mankind. And Jesus instructs us to have that same mindset. Just like the scriptures in Matthew 20 that we covered a few minutes ago, whoever desires to be be great among you, let him be your servant. And we all know that Jesus' ultimate service for us was his willingness to give his life for us. Now I encourage you, I encourage you to act in a way that surprises people. We often say that we need to let Jesus' light shine through us. This is how we accomplish this. Serve people. Surprise people with how much you're willing to serve them. If you get to a point and you are debating yourself on whether you should serve someone or not serve them, So you're having this little inner dialogue with yourself, trying to figure out: Should I really help them? Should I? Do they deserve it? I want you to um, consider Luke six and thirty-five. Beloved, your enemies do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Serve others the way that God intended, and your reward will be great. You know, this powerful scripture tells us about God's character, and his approach is one that's unbiased in service. It's an example for us to follow. Now, some of you may be thinking it's hard to be unbiased. It's hard to keep serving someone that keeps making the same mistake. I'm going to meet with them again and we're going to talk about the same thing. And we're going to do the same thing over and over again. Yeah, you are. Because you're going to serve them. It's hard to continue to have that level of compassion. If you think Occasionally think this way. I want you to think back to the night that Jesus was in the upper room with the disciples. The scripture tells us that Jesus got up from the table, he laid aside his garments, he took a towel, he poured water into a basin, and he prepared to wash the feet of the disciples. So this activity occurred after dinner. They had already eaten. It says he got up from the table. But before Jesus publicly identifies Judas as his betrayer. He already knew. He already knew who Judas was. He knew Judas was going to betray him. But he continued to kneel down before him and wash his feet. Our second application I want to discuss this morning is that we need to allow others to wash our feet. You can call this self-reflection, you can call this soul-searching, but whatever you call it, it's hard. It's not natural for us. It's extremely difficult for some of us. Whether you're asking someone to forgive you, whether you're reaching out to someone and you're asking for help, it's difficult to come to that realization and get those words to come out of your mouth and say, I need help. I need assistance. It's hard to say, I need my feet washed. It's important that we have humility and we recognize when our feet are dirty. Sometimes we need our feet washed, and we struggle with things like this. It's hard to admit, I need help. We have this conversation at my home occasionally. And it goes something like this. Katrina will say, hey, what's going on? What's wrong? And I'll reply, nothing. I'm fine. And she'll say, no, really. Talk to me. What's going on? And then I reply again, nothing. I'm fine. Any of y'all do that? I'm fine. I'll handle it. I'll bottle it all up in here, and I'll figure out how to get through it. Why don't we do that? It's hard to admit that we need help. It's hard to admit that we're struggling. It's hard to say, I need help. Today was hard. I'm tired. And it's really hard to say, I need you to wash my feet. The scriptures are clear that we need to lean On each other. Hebrews 10 and 24 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. We need to consider one another. We aren't meant to be alone. We're not meant to try to handle everything by ourselves. Proverbs 27 and 17 tells us, As iron sharpens iron. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Iron sharpens iron. Two pieces of iron. Two of us, we need help sometimes. I need you, and you need me. And the faster that we realize this, and we don't try to do everything on our own, uh, the better that we're going to be, the stronger that we're going to be. I need a spouse to lean on. I need brothers and sisters in Christ to lean on. God desires for us to help each other, to encourage each other, to lift each other up, to exhort each other, to correct each other, to strengthen each other, to love each other, and to wash each other's feet. You know, I find it astonishing, and I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. But I find it astonishing that the more and more that I spend in Scripture, that I see personal applications. I read Scripture, and I'm like, man, I need to do that. I read scripture. I'm like, wow, I could, I could really do better there. Many times after a sermon, many of you will come up to the preacher and you'll say, hey, I really appreciated that. I really need to hear that. You were talking right to me this morning. You're right. We are. We're talking to you. But we're talking to ourselves, too. Because so many times we pick out something to talk about and to study, and it's because of something that we need to work on. Last weekend, Lily had a soccer tournament in Frisco that put us on the other side of town all weekend long. And during this tournament, we had some games that were canceled. We had some games that were postponed. And there was a lot of sitting around and and really not knowing what was going to happen with the next game. And then we finally got word of the cancellation I had already had the entire afternoon planned out and scheduled. I know that's a shock to some of y'all that I would actually do something like that. But I knew that after this game, I knew there was a four hour break. We needed to go to this store. We were going to eat here. We were going to come back for that last game. It was going to be late, but we still had to stop here on the way home. I knew everything that was going to happen. And it was hot. We were tired. Games got canceled. A wrench got through into my plans. And to top it all off, there's like 400 million people that live in Frisco. (laughs) I don't know where all these people came from. But the roads are packed. I can't even change lanes on a road. Uh, You pull into and you try to go to a store. You can't walk. You can't get around. I got frustrated. I got really frustrated. To the point where my frustrations got the better of me. So Saturday night late, we were at home. We were getting ready for bed, and I went and I laid down with Lily uh, for a little while, and I talked to her about the day, and I talked to her about my frustrations. Why I was frustrated, how uh, that I wasn't upset at her, but I I was definitely in the wrong. So we talked about my mistakes, we talked about Proverbs, we talked about how I I need to do better, I need to be a better example, and as I lay there telling her my struggles and asking my daughter to forgive me, I couldn't help but think about this lesson that I was preparing for. I made mistakes, I struggled that day, and my feet needed to be washed. I was overcome with humility as I lay there talking through my wrongs, my shortcomings, and how I desired to do better. And that was a really hard conversation for me. But I needed to do it. And I laid on my bed, on her bed, and I asked my 11-year-old daughter to wash my feet. And she looked at me and she said, I'm not mad, Daddy. I know you got frustrated. And it's okay. That was what I needed. We need to allow others to wash our feet. There's a big difference in these two pictures that are up on the screen. And both need to be washed from time to time. Throughout our study this morning, Jesus was giving the disciples an acted out parable. He wasn't just washing their feet. He was saying, this is who I am. This is why I've come to earth. This explains the cross. I come as a servant to wash feet. Jesus is telling the disciples, and he's telling us this today. If you're going to be my disciple, then you need to go wash feet. If you're going to follow me, get down on your hands and knees and find some feet to wash. That was his message. And here is the promise that he gives us in verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The bad news, the bad news is that sometimes feet stink. And sometimes it's a dirty and it's a messy job. The good news is that Jesus has called you to be a foot washer. And through this humble act of serving one another, there is a great reward for you. And, a, and we are blessed for doing these things. You know, it's very simple. We need to be washing feet because Jesus did it, He instructs us to do it. There are plenty of feet that need to be washed. And we're blessed when we do it. I appreciate your attention this morning. I hope this study has been interesting. I hope it's been helpful to you. Uh, It's been helpful for me. I encourage you to do a few things. If you see feet that need to be washed, I encourage you to get on your knees and start scrubbing. There is work to be done, and Jesus calls us to serve others. And maybe your feet need to be washed, and you're tired of cleaning your own feet. You don't have to do it by yourself. We're here to assist you this morning. If you'd like the prayers of the church, we're happy to pray with you. If you desire to be baptized and become a child of God this morning, we definitely encourage you to do that. There's one of of either class. Just please come forward as we stand and sing this song.